Welcome to Dwell on Truth. I'm Brenton Powers, and here's my highlights from September 25th with Dave Michaels from the Flight 1080 Show. I'm excited today because one of my good friends is in studio with me. Haven't heard from him for quite a while. I did hear him on the radio this weekend on KSEO and last weekend as well. It's our good friend Brenton Powers. Hey, it's good to be back. Oh, dude, it's good to have you here in studio and good to hear you on the air, dude. I like to listen to that positivity that comes with those types of shows, Brenton. Do you? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, just take a break, you guys, from the politics. Take a break from the hatred. Just take a break from all that stuff and and try to deal with what really matters, and that's your spiritual health. Your spiritual health is just as, I would say, even more important than your physical health, mm-hmm. uh, because your spirit goes on forever. And your health will fade eventually. It will fade. In fact, you know, all of us know people that have faded. My grandmother's in hospice right now, oh. so it's a very serious reminder that the fact that you know, we're all going to die one day. It's the ultimate statistic. 100% of people will die. <laughs> That's true. Behooves you to think about where you're going after you die. Right. And we've had a lot of great conversations with people about that lately. Capitola Beach yesterday. Has oh, tell of, me about that. Ernie, what was his name? Uh, Pedro, Pedro, if you're listening. Yeah. So we were out there where we have a riddle on the sketchboard. I painted this thing and it's, mm. it's just thought provoking. And at the end, it talks about life after death. And then we ask people, do you believe in life after death? Well, Pedro said, there is no God. And I said, oh, yeah, how do you know? You sound pretty sure about it. He's like, science. It's like, okay, I'd love to see the scientific evidence that proves there is no God. He's like, uh, I can't give you that. I just know that there's something out there more than just molecules. Oh, okay, so uh, I started telling him why I believe in God and why I believe Jesus is risen from the grave, the eyewitness testimony, the manuscript evidence, the archaeology. And I'm going through my reasonings. I, I'm presenting him evidence. He has none. Mm-hmm. And he says... You are a leader. You should be a CEO. You're passionate doing this. This is great. Never give up. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Never give up. And I was but like, you didn't convince Thanks, him. I don't think I convinced him to deny atheism, mm-hmm. but uh, it made him think, and it made him. He like reached out, gave me a hug. He shook my hand multiple times. He was so just so glad to meet me and hear what I had to share with him. And I was glad to meet him too. That's a great story, dude. Yeah, I like was, that story. He was open. He's like, this is what we should be doing. We should be dialoguing. We mm-hmm. should be talking. And that's why I love coming on your show too, because I get to talk with a lot of people that believe and don't believe, mm-hmm. or they believe completely opposite of what I believe. Right now, I have the phone lines busied out so that you and I can just get the ball rolling and then we'll open the, yeah. the phone lines. So the show is called Dwell on Truth. Yeah, we're back on the air, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sundays at 8, yes? Yeah, Sundays, 8 a.m. Right. But you can tune in anytime to the podcast and mm-hmm. we're going to have some new episodes coming up. We just finished the Gospel of John this last Sunday, a year and a half, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the Gospel of John. Me and Dan took different perspectives at it, shared from different angles. And for people who don't know, what is the Gospel of of John about. It's only the most recommended book in all of the world as a part of the best-selling book, the Bible, of all time. The most recommended book, if you're going to start reading the Bible, usually you recommend start in the Gospel of John. You could start in Genesis like you did and go cover to cover. That's admirable, and I think people should do that. Mm -hmm. But if you can only start in one book, I think that one is good. Does it get people hooked and and wanting to read more? Yeah, it's written so that you may believe. Mm -hmm. So if you struggle to believe, you say, ah, this just seems far-fetched, or I don't know about Jesus. It goes straight to the point of who is Jesus really in history, and what did 
the eyewitnesses say. There's a lot of controversial things that Jesus said, and no matter what he did, he did a bunch of signs and miracles in the book, and each time he did one of those, there was a controversy. There was a split over whether he's from God or whether he's from the devil or whether he's just a man or whether he's crazy. And that's what Jesus does. He's the most loved or the most hated person in human history. When you say the most popular book or the book with the most sales, the best-selling book? Bible's the bestseller. And even more than the Quran? Yeah. They don't they don't even put the Bible on the best-selling books anymore because it would far outsells, far out prints. It's more translated than any other book. In fact, if you'll allow me some time a little later, yeah, I'd love to share about this trip I took 10 days ago, two weeks ago. Oh, that's where we're starting. You're going to go the, right to that. I went to Washington, D.C., and there's a state-of-the-art museum called the Museum of the Bible. You should Google it if you're out there. Mm-hmm. Google the Museum of the Bible. If you ever go to Washington, D.C., I would recommend going there, even though there's a bunch of American history things that we passed up. We went there for an open-air campaigners conference one of our days off from that. We explored this seven-story tall building. The, f- wow. the first six floors are about the work of the Bible, its history, the copies of ancient manuscripts that I've seen that are 200 years after Christ that are copies. Folks, the Bible was not written 400 years after Jesus by Constantine. That's a myth that people have. So I saw firsthand the evidence for the historicity of the Bible, the authenticity of it, the care that went into preserving it. But then there's also a whole floor on the impact of the Bible in uh, not just American culture, but worldwide movies, music, art, business, how impactful and foundational the Bible really is. It really was our first book as far as a codex, two-page, you know, front and back book, what you think of as a book now. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the first ever book printed by Gutenberg. But before that, there's a long history of it being meticulously transcribed letter by letter. And the Torah, which was the first five books of Moses, there's a huge collection of these scrolls of the Torah, books of Moses. Biggest one I've ever seen. Biggest one I think that exists in the world at this Museum of the Bible. Wow. And the Torah, they would not use the Torah in religious services if it had one letter wrong. So they would go and take a bath every time they wrote the name of God, the Tetragrammatron, YHVH, or Yahweh, or Yehovah, however you pronounce it, we don't know. But they were meticulous about copying the Bibles. There's some 4,000 copies um, or fragments of copies of the Bible. So it's the most uh, copied, it's the most best sold, it's the most read, it's the most impactful on not just Western civilization, but the world as a whole. A couple of things, uh, Brenton. When it goes through the history of the Bible and, and uh, the impact, I think you said, mm-hmm. that the Bible has had on the world, does it also include the negative impacts that the Bible has had on the world and yeah. the negative impacts of Christianity? Yeah, there was there was. Some... I'm sure it would be a small section of the floor, right? Because it's done <laughs> way more positive than good. But certainly yeah. things have been done. Oh, here's a question. The things that have been done in the name of God are not done on behalf of God, right? I mean, there's a, there's a you should be really careful of right. that when, when someone says, well, all the, you know, those guys who killed, uh, slaughtered a village of whatever is claimed to be Christians, yes, but they were misguided. They did not do that under yeah, God's geez. orders, right? They, yeah. they, they, they were uh, twisted. Something happened with their thinking. That is different than works on behalf of God. Or am I am I missing something? No, that's absolutely true. If someone just claims to believe in God, even the Bible itself says this in the book of James, or First uh, John also, there's different tests. If someone says they know God, but they hate their brother, they're a liar, because mm-hmm. God is love. Mm-hmm. And he who loves is born of God. He who hates cannot know God. 
And so to do evil and mass atrocities in the name of God, well, if you just look at what the Bible actually says, you would be able to identify that's not of God, that's of man trying to twist God into his own image. Okay. Uh, so let me ask you again, does it, on that floor that shows the, the impact of, of Christianity, or, the Christianity Bible. or the Bible, yep. does it also include negative things? Yes, but there's so much evidence of positive sure, good sure, sure. that... So let me think. I didn't have time. I would have loved to have three days to well, go through the entire floors, thing. I mean, holy cow. Um, but uh, just an example of what I saw. There was... Oh, I saw a copy of Charles Darwin's Evolution of the Origin of the Species and the Favored Races subtitle on there. I saw that. And, there, and that's definitely something that I think Charles Darwin had a seminary background. He, he wanted to be some sort of priest or something and through a death in his family, he became anti-God and anti-creation story, and uh, that's a lot of the reason why his myth got traction. Or, or did I call it a myth? His theory of evolution. <laughs> he did. He did call it a myth. <laughs> did, I, yeah. did I slip and say it's a fairy tale for grown-ups? Um, no. <laughs> but I saw his book, and you know, th there was also quotes from Lincoln and Trump, and um, video clips on the wall. Very high tech. You there. One of the most impressive things, not to get off the track of where you're where you're going with that there are people that have been negatively impacted by the Bible. Mm -hmm. I would say it's because they've rejected the Bible that they're negatively impacted. More but, so than the guy who commits crimes under the name of the Bible. Yeah, because that's that's a negative impact of someone who's actually rejecting the Bible in the name of religion, in the name of being a follower. Well, there's people who would do it in the name of religion and say, right. hey, you guys are a bunch of sinners. Go down to some clinic. I, I don't even want to suggest, yeah. but you know, and, and carry out crimes and killings against people who they feel are sinners and so right. on and so forth, right? So I guess the person who posits that the Bible has had a negative impact on society would have to give me those cases, mm -hmm. and I would weigh them against what the Scripture says and say, are they being faithful to Scripture, or are they being unfaithful to what the Scripture commands What is being to faithful to Scripture? What is faithfulness to Scripture? What do you mean? Fidelity. Uh, are you being honest about what the text says? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I mean. Integrity, where you're consistent with the Scripture. People who don't understand that the Bible, you, you said, this, so they do these crimes. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that they are misguided, or, or I don't know. Yeah, they're misusing the Bible if they're using it as a justification for impacting society in an evil way. When I said that I like hearing your show and the other show, I, I like that block of time now on Sundays where there's this positive spot now on the radio. There's this positive message being preached. I know what the message is, even if I'm not ready to accept it. I know what the message is, and that is that there's somebody out there who's who loves you and and will forgive you for whatever. But you you know you have to turn your life over to him. But mm -hmm. that the love is unconditional. I mean, mm -hmm. like, unlike anything else. Mm -hmm. And to hear that for two hours, I think is great. Hmm. I, I like that message being out there, and hopefully people grab onto it and, and you know yeah. and, and grasp it but that's the message that's being preached for those two hours i hear it and i love it dude i think it's fantastic thank you kseo and ownership for allowing us to air our views as part of the community here it's important you went to the bible museum to meet with the open air campaigners yes yeah we had a Are conference you still working with them yes i am uh we had a conference we met with a lot of other open air campaigners mm -hmm. as my wife says there's a lot of other weird guys like you out there <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, we're all kind of just fired up about the gospel. We love Jesus, and we we get excited with seeing large crowds and opportunities to talk about him. So she's like, oh, you're, you're not the only one. So what's that book you have? Did you get that at the Bible uh, Museum? Oh, I got two books in front of me. One is my biggest Bible that I own. I like it has that, like dude. giant print. And I'm actually going to be using this on my YouTube channel to point at Scripture, because I think it's really important for people to see it in the text. Mm. So that's one book I have. And also, my, my eyes are just getting worse. I like to have big, giant print. <laughs> it is nice, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the other little, tiny, tiny book I got here, I'm still working my way through it. It's really small. It's called How We Got the Bible, Made Easy. And it's by Rose Publishing. Rose Publishing makes the slickest pamphlets and stuff. And I knew when I left the Museum of the Bible, I want to have something I could take with me. Not only is it super easy to understand, but has some of these pictures of the archaeological evidence for the Bible and just in a nutshell gets me the dates of when each of the 66 books in the Bible were written. What about the apocryphal books? We get asked about that all the time. How did the Bible get put together? Mm-hmm. How was it ever These translated? Are, all good questions, dude. are they all covered in there? Yeah, it's all covered well, let's in this start, little let's tiny start, book. Let's get started with one of them at least. Yeah. How did we get the Bible? Common wisdom says that common belief says it was written 500 years after Jesus' death, the death of Jesus. Is that right? <laughs> that you've is, heard that. Yes, I'm, I'm that not. is not right. Uh, let me just say, but you have heard no. That. I've heard it okay. ad nauseum. Okay, good. And so. I say, who did you hear this from? I'm trying to find the source of this. I've heard that for yeah. so. I mean. I don't know who, who to cite, but holy moly, I've heard well, that so many times. I want to be generous, give people the benefit of the doubt. If their sources are pre-1945, 1947, then the the best manuscript evidence that we had of the Old Testament, let's there's two categories. We can talk okay. about Old Testament category. That was all created before Christ. New Testament was written after Christ walked the earth. Okay. So let's talk Old Testament. The okay. oldest, oldest ancient Bible uh, books were written 400 years before Jesus. Jesus, or dating back to like 1,200 years before Jesus. So how we got the Old Testament and the evidence, the historicity of it, there's been so much found, Dave, in the last 70 years that it's really impossible to make that claim that the Bible was not didn't come together until 400 AD. Uh, some people even said that the Christians took the Old Testament and doctored it to make it fit what Jesus did in the first century, wow. uh, like Isaiah 53. But what the Dead Sea Scroll discovery, and this has been called the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century by by scholars, by Google, you can look at it close up. Google scanned it some 10 years ago. 1,150 years old. The greatest preserved copy of Isaiah, which I've talked to you about before, but I'll, I'll say it for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. Because there was a copy of it there at the Museum of the Bible, too. I've seen it at the Shrine of the Book in Jerusalem, Shrine of the Book Museum in Jerusalem, but I've also seen a copy at Washington, D.C. What that proves, what that shows is that that passage about Jesus, that he was pierced for our iniquities, he would be bruised for our transgressions chastisement or the the punishment that fell on him was to deliver us from our punishment mm-hmm. and that he would be considered cursed and crushed by God for our sake and that he would the Lord would prolong his days after he was buried in a rich man tomb all of that sounds very New Testament but they have evidence that's carbon dated that is um, was found in the the Dead Sea caves of Qumran with coins from a hundred to 200 years before Christ so we know that was not doctored by Christians before that point 78 
80 years ago. The oldest copy of the Bible we had was from 1,000 years ago. And so now we can compare a, the copy from 1,000 years ago and the copy from 2,000 years ago. And you know how accurate it was? Hmm. 99.8% accurate. That doesn't change anything about the doctrine of Christianity. It doesn't change any, like, one false argument people throw out is, oh, the Bible was lost in translation. It was passed down verbally through generations. It's like a broken game of telephone. So, and it's been translated so many times. This is a, another false argument. Because it's been translated so many times, that means the original meaning is lost. That boggles my mind because it seems like it's logical. The more translations you have from the original, and we still have the original languages, the more translations, the better you're getting at what the original is trying to say, rather than getting further away from it. In other words, our English translation of the Bible comes from the original Hebrew Old Testament and Greek New Testament. And so we're not going from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to French to German to English. We're going from the original language into our language, just like but the Germans of don't, other languages. The Germans will get something that went from this language to that language to English and then to German, right? No, that every language should be translated from the original languages. There are some trans. There's like hundreds of English translations, by the way. So there are some translations that are based on previous translations. But this one that I have in my hand, this big fat one, it's a new American standard, for example. Mm -hmm. It's translated directly from the original language. And its translators are seeking to make it as literal as possible. You could translate it more loosely or tightly, depending upon you want to make it easy to read, mm -hmm. or do you want to make it grammatically as close as possible to the original language? I appreciate it being easier to read, because otherwise it, I'm not going to read it, and it's just it ain't going to happen. Yeah. So I often say, when someone asks, what's the best translation of the Bible for me to pick up in English? Mm-hmm. I could recommend on the more literal side or on the more easy to read side of a spectrum of Bibles, but the best translation is the one that you'll actually read. Yes. Because <laughs> right. if, you, if you have a great translation but don't read it or can't understand it, then it doesn't What's do you point? any good. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's been fights over the years. The Catholic Church didn't want the Bible to be translated into the common language, they didn't want people being able to interpret it for themselves. That's very interesting. So, I'm going to open up the phone lines here during the break, and if anybody has any questions, we could start taking them. But Brenton, we're going to ask you a couple more questions about the, uh, what is it, Museum, Museum of the Bible? Museum of the Bible in yeah. Washington, D.C. All right, this is AM 1080 KSEO Santa Cruz. We're hanging out with Brenton Powers, host of Dwell on Truth, the radio show here on KSEO, which airs Sundays at 8, and also the Dwell on Truth podcast, which I believe you can still download on uh, Spotify and iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts, you can download them there. That's Dwell on Truth. You guys should check it out. Brenton, yeah. yes. good to have you on board again. Where are we going next? Download them soon because I'm going to need to make room on the podcast uh -oh. for new episodes. Oh, So we just completed the Gospel of John. If you want to start in John chapter one, go through that verse by verse with me and Dan Bodwin. We've done that. Where I'm going next with my radio show, I haven't quite yet decided. Okay. I might go on to the next book in, in the Bible, Acts, which is an action book of the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church, connecting when Jesus ascended to heaven, what did the apostles do? How did the gospel spread all the way to Rome? in the Roman Empire. Or I might do some interviews. I already have a few in the uh, can ready to publish nice. in the next few weeks. Good for you, dude. Good yeah. for you. But uh, where are we going on the show today? Yes. Yes? Yes. I was giving some facts off the top of my head. Can I read half of a small page here from this yes. little book I got? How We Got the Bible Made Easy Please. by Rose Publishing. By, by the up. way, that looks like you can buy that. Yes. You can't, you? It's like five bucks. You can get it on Amazon. 
how we got the Bible okay. made easy. They even have a pamphlet form. I thought about mass, like buying a, a thousands of them to mm-hmm. give them out. Because mm-hmm. this is one of the biggest barriers that people have to coming to faith is how do we know the Bible can be trusted? This whole story about Jesus, how do we know he's a real historical person? I don't well, believe that's one of the biggest barriers. I, I think the people who tell you that, Brenton, they're just looking to weasel their way out of it. There, you don't no, think they're honest? You don't believe no, that? No, I don't believe that's an honest argument. Are, at all. are people I, I liars, so. Dave? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. people lie. What's the honest? What do you think is the honest reason why people? The don't honest reason the Bible? is that they don't. They're afraid. They don't want to accept Jesus because they know that they're sinners and they're, they're not willing to. The answer that I would give, Brenton, I bet you, if more people were honest, would be the answer. The, the, the honest, right? Which I, is what I don't. I can't accept. I can't do it, dude. I just can't do it because you don't want to give I, up. I don't want to change. Life I don't want to change my life. And Jesus will never. God will never accept me being the sinner that I am, the flaws that I have, and especially not being willing to change. And if and if I know that, mm-hmm. then I really got no excuse, dude. God I've will really accept no you excuse. as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. Well, I know. That's why you're here. That's that's why <laughs> I, I, you know, that's why I like listening to these messages. That's why he's always hanging out right there, but not, not, well, imagine, we're not as tight as I would like to be, dude. We're not as tight as he would like me yeah. to be, you know? All right. Well, he's only one step back. No matter yes. how far you've run from God, yes. it's just one step back. Yeah. Be reconciled to God. I believe that. So, well, that's good. We're getting right to the heart of the matter. A lot of people do give intellectual reasons for their their lack of belief. They're liars. But a lot of times it is a facade. Some people really do have them, and I I had them. uh, And I had a heart issue, too, why I didn't want to surrender to God at age 17. Mm. But when I realized that there's Christians with answers, there's books with answers, there's museums with evidence, it's undeniable. And then couple that truth with love. When I saw Christians that actually cared enough that took my pestering questions, oh, how do you know? How do you know this? How do you know that? And just calmly gave me the answers of how they know. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. That's a, that's actually very compelling. They actually care about me, and this is why they're telling me that. So someone asked me once why I'm not an atheist, and that's why. The truth coupled with love, it makes all the difference. There's people out there smashing these big, heavy Bibles on people's heads. Well, supposedly. I've never met a Bible basher, but it is true. The truth without love is brutal. But love without truth is sentimentality. But if you find a Christian who has a good handle on the truth and expresses it with love, that's maturity. We have phone calls already on hold here, Brenton. You want to bring up another point and then get to a phone call or a phone call and then another point? Let me make one factual uh, correction here. I said 98.8% of the Old Testament, when you compare oldest with the newest copies that we had, Mm -hmm. are accurate. That was actually regarding the New Testament, when you compare all of the thousands of copies there. And here's the facts. Princeton's Bruce Metzger, perhaps a preeminent New Testament scholar, concluded that of the 20,000 lines of the New Testament, only 40 are debatable. And he noted that none of these variances affect the basic tenets of the Christian faith. They don't call into question what we believe about God or about how he works in the world. Therefore, we can trust our modern-day Bibles. I think we can go to calls from that. You're in the air, David. Thank you for the call. Hi, David. Sure. Hi. There's a number of, uh, I'll say, inaccuracies in what's presented, and there's not enough time for me to get into all of them, but I'd like to touch upon a few of them because I think they're pretty outrageous. You said that at the beginning that you were talking to somebody who didn't believe, and you asked of him to provide scientific evidence that there was no God. Well, it's quite impossible to prove the non-existence of anything. I right. dare 
are you to prove right. to me that there is no Santa Claus? Right. You can prove that something exists. You can't prove that something does not exist. So that's just silly. Absolutely. But that wasn't my claim. That was this uh, Pedro's claim, that he knows there is no God because of science. So he was the one that made the claim, and I pushed him to defend it. And thank okay, you for but, recognizing but, 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 the proof. non-existence of God. You can't prove it, can you? That's right. And David, that's you right. don't believe in God, right? Absolutely not. But that's not the point of my call. The point of my call is, is to speak to inaccuracies that you consistently present. The oldest carbon-dated fragment of the Gospels is a piece of John that dates 200 years A.D. Yeah, so I saw it with my own eyes. That flies in the face of, of, of your argument of it having been written contemporaneous with, with the events that are portrayed in the Gospels. You don't think that was the original, do you? Well, I have no way of knowing. I only know that it's the oldest. You have no way of knowing either. That's uh, the oldest piece. No, no one is claiming so, that is the original written by John. There is 4,000 copies that have various dates, and they all... That, co- they, so that, the point is, you, the you copies survive. The you, you, is, is that the oldest fragment or not? That survives? You wouldn't expect parchment or goat skin to survive 2,000 years. The fact that it survived 1,800 is amazing. I don't know, I don't know about the existence of anything that nobody's ever seen or heard of. We can, we can talk about that all day. But Let's talk about what I've seen. I've seen that 200-year-old copy of John. That proves that there must have been a preceding original copy that was a, probably 100 years older. John no, wrote that about 90 AD. Do you dispute that? No, it, it, it does not prove anything except that it's 200 years after the events. That's all that it proves. But it does disprove those on the streets who say the Bible wasn't written until Constantine, right? Well, the first example that we know of, of a codified Bible where the various books were put together and they decided which books to include and which not to include. So this was a choice that was made to assemble these disparate Gospels into one book. And yeah, and when when, when was about that? 500, about 500 years after <laughs> the events you're talking about. Thank you for proving my point, that there are people out there repeating these. I'm wondering, where. what is your source? Because I've seen the evidence that disproves that. The Bible, I saw copies not only of the Gospel of John from 200 AD, but also of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. But and that's then, not an assembled New Testament. Those are separate Gospels that have to be exactly. combined in some way into a book. And that didn't happen. That didn't happen until hundreds of years later. And you can, you can make Well, you can't that state it that it didn't happen. You can state, I, don't, I haven't seen the evidence for myself yet that well, those I, were I, in I, circulation, I, but, but you can't state, a, you can't prove a, a negative, look, like you called to say, dude, right? I haven't seen a tomato that talks either. That doesn't mean that there are talking tomatoes that exist. Okay, but you can't that's prove ridiculous. a negative. Your, your original premise, you can't prove a negative. You keep making these negative statements that the Bible wasn't assembled until I say it was assembled. Well, I say it was assembled before the thank, church fathers. Thank you for the call, David. Four seven nine one zero eight zero. So I see what he's saying. Maybe when people say that the Bible wasn't written until five hundred years after the death of Christ, or four hundred years, they're talking about the assembly of the Bible rather than yeah. the, than the writing. The, the as far as being able to find it with all sixty six books together in one place, we got to understand the history of books in general 
didn't exist until people decided to put the Bible together as one bound edition. Before that, there were scrolls. The 66 different books were either in scrolls or in parchments. or in, I mean, it's a, it's a library. So you wouldn't expect to find the original writings of Peter, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah, all saying, let's, let's put our original copies together into one modern book and app. Because that's putting modern expectations onto something that really it was Christians who published the Bible in the form that we have today, 500 years ago with Gutenberg. So you're imposing on the Bi- on the ancient manuscripts something that I think is unrational, unreasonable, and I wonder why. We got more phone calls, Brenton, but do you want to bring up another point and then we get to phone calls or do you want to get to No, I think it's fair that we let that rest and then I'll take the next call. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's get out to, I think, Sunnyvale. Gail is in the air. Thank you for the call. Yeah, this is Gail from Sunnyvale. Hi, Gail. Hi. Uh, I'm like agnostic, but always, you know, searching because uh, my sister is very, very uh, Christian. And uh, so my question is, if, if you're ignorant like I am, and but then you, you don't believe and you die, then, then why does uh, God hurt you if, if God is love? That's hmm. Well, you say you're ignorant and that you're an agnostic, which means you don't know if there is a God. Is that your position? You don't know if there is a God or not? Well, yeah, it's. I just don't know. It seems illogical, so I'm kind of bent toward atheism a little bit because of the kind of the illogical of the, of the Christian belief. Okay. Do you have access uh, to a Bible that you could read and check out the story for yourself? Uh, yeah, well, that's another point is that the Bible, I believe, is, is, is folklore. and uh, So you're already you prejudiced know, against the Bible. Like, you haven't read it for yourself? You're already determining that before you read it? Oh, no, no, no. I, I read it uh, many times when I was in, in, in the Army. But Okay, so you're yeah. not ignorant. I wouldn't say you're ignorant. You've read it many times. You have a very strong Christian sister. I'm sure she's tried to share the gospel message with you, how to become a Christian. Yeah, yeah, but... Okay, so you're not ignorant. You have knowledge that God wants you to have. You've read the whole Bible all the way through. So God's not going to judge you for what you don't know. He's going to judge you for what you know, and you've rejected. So I think that sounds pretty fair to me. Well, ignorant, when you said, when I say ignorant, that kind of connotes that I don't know, I don't believe. I'm just, I'm not sure. I'm ignorant of some people believe, and then some people don't. And those that don't, when they die, then God hurts them. And that, that's really my question is why, you know, many, I think, atheists come to believe atheism because of this, this conundrum of if God is love, why does he hurt you if you don't believe in him? And, and just, you're born not to believe in him. I've, I've tried my best, but I'm too logical and okay. I won't get past his logic. All right. Let me, let me try something. I, I don't often do this, but I want to try something with you. I'm going to go straight for the jugular, okay? You ready? Oh, boy. <laughs> what if I said I don't believe you, that you're not sure that God exists? What if I say I think you actually know he exists? And like Dave said earlier, you're actually lying about knowing he exists because you actually want to live the life that you want to live and not what he wants to live. Would that be offensive to you? Uh, no, it wouldn't make much sense. Uh, because Okay, I, I don't believe you. Uh, you believe what you want to believe, and then I believe what I, don't I believe want you. to believe. I don't believe well, you. Well, then now you just say again. Then you say again. Yeah. yeah. So that doesn't make sense, you know? So uh, Does that bother I, you that I don't trust you? That I'm not taking no, your word? No. The only thing bothered me was the interruption. But okay. If, if I'm, if, I don't believe you. So I could do this all day. The, what am I trying to do here? I don't it's, know what you're trying to do. It's kind of rude, but yeah, it is. <laughs> here's, the, here's the point. I'm trying to offend you. You see, normally I don't believe you that you're not offended too. I think you are offended, but you just don't want to say so because you know where I'm going. God is offended well, at your unbelief. 
Jesus said, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. You've read the Bible. You have a sister that loves you, that tried to share with you, and yet you still claim, oh, I don't really know if God exists. I'm sorry for mocking you and doing this on public radio, but this is the only way to break through to some people. I needed someone to slap me in the face and say, you're a rebel against God. Stop with your lies. Stop with your excuses. Give your heart to Jesus while you still have time. You have breath in your lungs. Your heart is beating. My grandmother's in hospice. I know she's going to heaven. I don't know where you're going. You don't know how much time you have. So give your life to Jesus while you can. Your excuses will not stand on Judgment Day. That's all I can say. Well, you know, yeah, that's a, you know, I'm just trying to make a point more of the, of the atheists uh, in the world are kind of torn between the Jesus thing making no sense at all. And then other people saying that you don't believe because you, for some reason, something hasn't happened to you to have you believe. Something I don't believe happened. you. Thank you. Thank you for the call, Gail. Four seven nine ten eight. Okay, Brenton. So let me do this. Um, I, if his point is that he just doesn't believe, he just can't believe, he just can't bring himself around to do it. Uh-huh. Why does God punish him? For, for I mean, God created him this way, and to be curious, why would God punish him? I mean, I think it's a fair question. It is, but not with 20 seconds Not left. with 20 seconds, yeah. <laughs> uh, AM 1080 KSEO Santa Cruz, we're hanging out with Brenton Powers. I'll ask him again for you, Gail. Issues and entertainment. That's AM 1080 KSEO. If you have anything to say, but you'd rather text it in, that's the number to use, 218-KSEO. Hanging out with Brenton today. Brenton, there's something that you really want to answer, right? You want to respond to something? Yeah, from the other side of the break, I took a tactic I don't normally take, and that is to intentionally try to offend somebody. That's right, yeah. So tell me, (laughs) explain to the audience why, because you explained it to me, and I was like, okay, I get it now. Okay, so uh, the caller was agnostic, claims he doesn't know that there is a God. Yet, in the process of the call, he revealed he had read the Bible multiple times in the Army, has a very Christian sister, and still says that that he doesn't know enough to say that there is a God and give his life to him. Um, and I just called that bull because, and here's the most important thing that God wants from us, faith. The issue is the issue of unbelief. When you've read the Bible, I wanted to wake up the caller to the fact that that's offensive to somebody who considers himself an honest person to be called a liar. But that's essentially what he's doing to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read the whole book that God gave me multiple times. Is he doing that to you as well? Oh, no, I'm, I'm personally not offended. I wasn't. But what that did draw out of me was it reminded me of myself when I was 16 mm-hmm. and my sister, who's still uh, a fighting atheist. Mm-hmm. She's an uh, anti-theist. There are people that are fighting against God actively saying it's all garbage, it's all false. Mm-hmm. Then there are people just claiming ignorance. I went harder on the guy claiming ignorance because, as you said, Dave, why should we trust people to always be honest? Mm -hmm. We can trust God to always be honest, and that's an offense to God to say you're a liar. You know, when people come to that epiphany, that revelation, that born-again experience, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. that they realize life is not about me, that there is a greater purpose. I want to encourage those out there that are struggling with giving up their own dreams, their own self, their own identity that's wrapped around their life, that's centered around self. I was there. But the day that I surrendered, the day that I heard God's voice saying, I want you to live for my glory, not for your own. Make music for me. Make art for me. That didn't rob me of having a good life. That gave me access to the life I was created to live. There's no more satisfying life Mm. than to actually discover your maker had a wonderful plan for you. And that sounds cliche, but I believe it's true. He wants to give you that. What he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace, plans for a hope, plans for a future, not to bring evil upon you. He would rather not judge. He would rather not punish. He delights in mercy. He's rich in love. 
and it's your choice. Are you going to receive the good things from God or the harsh things from God? Behold, the severity and the kindness of God, right? God is both loving, but he's also just. Do you want to experience his mercy and grace and surrender to a beautiful life, a, a life that you are intended to live? Or are you going to keep resisting your maker and resisting the going against the grain? It's like trying to use a hammer for a, a hairdryer. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, the usually, wrong tool for the yeah, wrong job. You're, you're designed for something. You're designed to know God. You're designed to worship God. You're designed to serve God and people. It's for God's glory and for man's good. And the sooner we surrender to that plan, the sooner we'll be on a life of fulfillment. So check this out, Brenton. I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to ask Brenton? You got like five pages of questions there for me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got, I got some, there's actually some good questions. That, and these are stupid questions Go for that, it. that I was going to ask you, but it actually turns out that they're not stupid. It turns out that I'm smarter than I thought. <laughs> Smarter than your average beer. What brought it up is I was listening to um, one of my favorite rappers, and he says, you know, I would I like to ask politicians, would Jesus vote? Like, this is some kind of really deep question. And I thought, that's kind of a silly question to ask a politician. If I was, a, if I was out there politicking and somebody asked me, would Jesus vote? I would say... I don't know. Good question. Next question, and I'll just move on. I, what do you say to something like that? What a silly question. What a silly question. Yes? So I, I Googled this, and this uh -huh. is from redeeminggod.com. Okay. And it says, I am not asking who would Jesus vote for. That question has been beaten to death. Instead, I am asking the more basic question, would Jesus even vote? Some say that a vote for the lesser of two evils is still a vote for evil. Some Christians say that rather than to change the world by voting in a flawed candidate, what Jesus really wants is for us to get out into the world and be the change that we want to see. Jesus never discussed voting, partly because voting was not an option in the Roman Empire. Right. They wanted to know, for example, if they should pay taxes to Caesar. And Caesar said, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar. Or Jesus said Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Give uh, to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Paying taxes, of course, provides way more support to the government than casting a ballot ever will. Mm. Since no government is perfect, some of the tax money will always go to support some sort of evil. But Jesus said to pay it anyway. Furthermore, much like John the Baptist, Jesus was critical of, of some of King Herod, and I believe that if Jesus has uh, been given the opportunity to vote for a new king, Jesus would have voted for someone who would do a better job of obeying God's laws. Yeah. So let me ask you, Brenton, would Jesus vote? That was well put. What would Jesus do? You ever so, see that old uh, yes, bracelet, yeah, WWJD? Yeah. So I think Jesus would want us to vote. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give an answer just kind of off the top of my head. Jesus would vote, and he does vote. And who's in office right now is because of his vote. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be based off of this scripture in Romans, that's in Romans, the Bible too. Romans chapter 13. Every person is to be in subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. You ever heard the saying, the powers that be? Mm -hmm. That comes from the King James translation of the Bible. The powers that be are established by God. So God does vote. Sometimes we get what we deserve. Sometimes we get mercy. I'm praying for mercy in the next election. Brenton, you're not saying that Joe Biden was elected by Jesus. What are you saying, Brenton? What the powers saying? that be exist because they were established by God. Now, no. that doesn't mean that he's endorsing evil. Mm -hmm. That means that sometimes we get what we ask for, and we don't deserve the perfect president. We shouldn't expect the perfect president. The only perfect leader that we should expect is Jesus. He's not on either the Republican or Democratic ticket, but he's the ultimate leader we're looking forward to coming back. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, President of Presidents. We need to acknowledge the King and worship him. That's what Psalm 2 says. 
President of presidents. I have never heard that. I like <laughs> Me neither. That. I just said it. I like that. I coined that phrase. So here's the here's the title of the article. Here it says, "If you want fair, you probably won't like Jesus." And it goes on to say, "We want a salary that's fair. We want referees to be impartial to both teams. We get furious when someone breaks in line. We want fair. But as a matter of fact, if you want fair, you won't like Jesus." <laughs> and here, this is mbird.com. Um, I don't know what. That is. As a matter of fact, have you ever thought about how unfair? Jesus' words were to the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Should it be assumed he is telling her to get her act together or else? Perhaps Jesus' answer might change if he encountered the same circumstances with her a week later. Maybe you know, if she came back a week later, he'd say, nah, 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 girl, you already had enough chance. Give me that rock, boom, and hit her. Would his refusal to condemn her run out? Think about it. If she found herself again at his feet, humiliated for the second time, would he then pick up a rock with everyone else? Does his, quote, neither do I condemn you declaration have a limit? I'm almost done. Mm -hmm. He wasn't saying, you better stop it now because if you don't, I'll condemn you. No. He was saying, neither do I condemn you. I never will. I will be condemned once and for all in your place. That's what he was saying. I, mm-hmm. I will be condemned wow. in your place. Leave your life of sin because it is killing you, your life of sin because it is destroying you and those you love. I will never condemn. Wow. If that bothers you, you're starting to get it. If it makes you uncomfortable, welcome to the life with Jesus. If you feel it's unfair, you're correct. It's not. <laughs> Uh, in one sense, that is that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, and I agree with with that sense of it. There's a sense in which it's it's kind of tongue in cheek because it's implying God is not just. But uh, let's let's say it this way: If I go to heaven, is that fair? No, I don't. To me, it is. I don't deserve heaven. <laughs> that's not a fair reward for my life that I've lived. If I get what I deserve, I would go to hell. I've broken God's law. There was a period in my life where I didn't believe God. By my works, I'm condemned, but by my faith, I'm saved, and I'd rather be saved and receive mercy. The, so the, there's just a technicality I would disagree with, mm-hmm. and that is, and I think the, there's a tension there. We have to acknowledge God is both just and merciful, but how can he be just and let criminals into heaven? That's by his mercy. Well, the only just way that a judge cannot punish a guilty person as if someone innocent pays their price. And it did allude to that, that Jesus was condemned in our place. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that God can be both, the Bible calls it, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He can justify you in a legal sense without being a corrupt judge, because the price has been paid. And this is this was the point of uh, what I wrote to the DA, the guy that assaulted me. I forgive him in Jesus' name because the son interceded and the price for my damaged iPhone was paid by somebody else. On that basis, he can go free. I'm not pressing charges. I just ask him to apologize. I'm still waiting for that apology. But because the son apologized in his place, I'll take that. And God is the same way. He is a just judge and he found a just loophole in the law that says, the law commands that we should stone this woman, right? But Jesus said, he without sin cast the first stone. I think the the reason why people bristle at the justice of God or at the and say God's not fair mm-hmm. is because they have a higher view of themselves than they should. They think they deserve heaven. They think they deserve the rewards. They don't think they deserve the punishment for their deeds. But when we see ourselves with humility and we see how many times we've offended God, I can't even count the number of times I've lied. I can count the number of times I stole. <laughs> but how many times have we offended God and yet He's willing to forgive us for that? if we humble ourselves. So, humility and faith. God, God, The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. Grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. So, if you demand what you deserve, give me what I deserve, then I hate to say this, but then you're going to hell. If you ask for mercy, 
in Jesus' name, you will receive it. So yeah, we need to have a humble view of ourselves. That was a very good stuff that Dave is coming up with here on the Google. I love these questions. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you, Brendan. <laughs> you know, when we were talking, when I brought that up, I think during the break, you said, um, "What if Jesus had a limit for forgiving?" Right. So th- this author says, "What if this woman came back two mm. weeks later, later mm. and Jesus said, no, 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 mm-hmm. uh, that, I'm not forgiving you this time.' Mm. But that's not how He thinks. Yes. So if I live my life sin after sin after sin after sin after sin, but finally mm. get my stuff together at the age of 68 before you know before I had a stroke or whatever that last gentleman was. Yeah. Um, it's not too late, right? Not too late. You could be on your deathbed right now. Breathing your last and but what if you sinned? Save me, Jesus! But what if you've sinned seven hundred and fifty-eight times? The Bible says, "Forgive as you've been forgiven." And what did he tell Peter? How many times should I forgive my brother for the same offense? Seven times? No, he said seventy times seven. So four hundred and ninety times. I'm sure you would lose count before you hit four hundred and ninety. But seventy times seven—that was his answer. How many times does God forgive us? Well, every time we ask. If here's a scripture to back it up: First John one nine. If we confess our sins, mm-hmm. He is faithful faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we're calling God a liar. So we have sin in our nature, and it comes out. The reason why we sin is because we're sinners. God knows that. You don't surprise God when you sin. He knows you're going to sin. But what he wants you to do when you sin is put your faith in him. Don't say, well, I'll try better, because you can't save yourself. You can't change yourself, but he can change you. He can change you from the inside out, from the heart, give you a new heart, take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Breathe into you a living spirit that's called being born again. And if you believe in Jesus, you'll be born again and have a new nature that you can operate from. You're still going to wrestle flesh versus spirit until we die and get our new glorified, resurrected bodies. But he will forgive you every time you repent. When your faith is in Jesus, he'll change you as well. It's not just Oh, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this forever without sorrow. Because if you really do accept them, the, the sinning, for the most part, will stop, Your right? desire to sin will, will decrease. Your flesh still wants to sin, but your heart of hearts, your who you truly are, your spirit, your soul, wants to please God. So there will be a tension. So you can't always do what you want to do. But uh, your tire, desires will change, guaranteed. Dwell on Truth is the name of the podcast. Can they get a hold of you too, Brenton? How do they get a hold yeah, of you? Yeah, Dwell on Truth at Gmail. Submit your questions, and I'll be answering them on the podcast or on the radio show Sunday at 8 a.m. And thanks for allowing me to be a little bit more edgy today. I was a little more in your face than some of the callers. Are they, <laughs> I, got, uh, I got a text message here that says, <laughs> why is Brenton acting so dumb? Well, it's really urgent to me. If you face the death of a loved one, my grandmother's in hospice right now, mm-hmm. and she's been praying for my sister and my unbelieving relatives to come to Christ while they have time. And it just kind of feels like an end of an era that when my grandfather passed away 26 years ago, 27 years ago, I was a new believer. And that's when God called me to the ministry. He ran the race set before him. And it was like he was handing me that baton. He used to preach on the radio, by the way, my grandfather. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty pretty neat. That is kind of neat. So I was called to the ministry when my grandfather passed away. He fought the good fight because I realized it's my turn. I need to step up. And if there's that saying, evil triumphs because good people do nothing. Like, I'm not saying I'm a good person, but I need to warn people about the consequences of denying God. So like Jesus said to this woman caught in adultery, I will not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Turn from your sin. It's not worth it. Sin what does that mean? I, I will not condemn you. Go and sin no more. What does that mean? What's the mentality of that statement? Well, in that case, they had all these witnesses against her, right? Mm-hmm. And in the Old Testament, there's a law that says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established. And if there's two or three accusers that have eyewitness testimony of this woman 
committing a capital offense, which it was, they could have her stoned by the law. But Jesus' tactic was to show them that they're also sinners, that they also deserve to be stoned, so that they would leave, so that it was just him and her. Does no one condemn you? In other words, are there no witnesses anymore standing by their testimony? She had, she didn't have the two or three witnesses that it required for her to be punished. That's why I'm saying God is merciful, but he had a legal justification to let her go. And he called her to a, a changed life. So it's it's not like it's a get-out-of-hell-free card and go ahead and keep committing adultery. No, you, you're sorry about that. A godly sorrow will lead to repentance, changed mind that leads to a change in direction. And this woman's life was definitely changed by when she imp- encountered Jesus. Do we know whatever happened to that woman? Do we hear in the Bible again about her? Well, it's funny you should ask, because this whole passage is actually one of the like 0.2% of the Bible that is in question, because it's not in all manuscripts. Oh. This actual wow. story of the woman caught in adultery, and, uh-huh. and, your, and some Bibles omit it. Wow. This, so this whole story may be added later. It may be apoc- apocryphal itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's in the, it should be in the Bible to begin with is in question. I'll just be honest about that. There's very few passages like that, but this is one of them. But is there any evidence that it's a lie? I there, mean, None of the other Gospels write about her. So I don't think there's any evidence that it's a lie. It's just, it's missing from the oldest manuscript copies of John that we have. So you wonder, when was it written? Was it written by John? It's a question mark. I got to head out for two minutes here, but Mike and Salinas is on the air. Mike, thank you for calling. Don't swear, Mike. You don't swear. Right. Hey, this isn't a challenge, just a question. I want to see how you answer it. What is the only unforgivable sin? Mm, We mentioned that earlier. I called it unbelief. The way that Jesus put it, he said, all manner of sin will be forgiven. All kind of blasphemy against me, against the Father will be forgiven, except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So it seems like you have to do some interpretation work. So the phrase blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I don't think it's as simple as just making a misstatement about the Holy Spirit. The way I would put it is this way, based on Mark 16, 15 and 16, where it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned condemned. So therefore, Jesus equates not believing with the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. How do those two tie together? To be consistent with all of Scripture. Well, like the verse I quoted earlier, the Holy Spirit comes to testify about Jesus, about righteousness, about sin, about judgment. And if someone their whole life until their dying breath rejects that witness of the Holy Spirit about Jesus, they essentially say, oh, there's still not enough evidence for me, even though I've read the Bible and Christians have loved me and the Holy Spirit has told me Jesus is the real deal. Calling the Holy Spirit a liar in that case will lead them to the eternal consequence of being condemned, unforgiven for all of eternity. And I would say there is yeah. no second chance after death. When the Bible says in uh, Hebrews 9, 27, I believe, that it's appointed for a man to die once and after that, the judgment. So your fate is sealed in your last breath. Would you agree? As brothers in Christ, that, and we are not to argue in front of the unbelievers, uh-huh. to not get them confused, it would be fun one day, which I, I kind of doubt would happen, is to sit down and, and jaw through it. Okay, I'd be happy to meet with you offline somewhere. But uh, yeah, get in touch well, with me. Y- you never know. Okay. Well, thank you for day. your call, Mike. Appreciate sure. that. Bye. But And I want to say, I've I've been vocal about my opinions today. I talked about whether Jesus would vote or not. I talked uh, to atheists and agnostics in ways that I myself might not agree with on another day. But in the mood that I was in, I, I hope that you understood my heart. I'm trying to reach the lost with the gospel. It's not me that saves. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. 
And so that's my hope, is to get the gospel out. My opinion, you can take it or leave it. And good Christians can disagree on some of these secondary matters. But what I say is a primary matter. What I think is essential is what does the Bible say is essential for salvation? And it does say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So here's the essentials for salvation. Believe the gospel. You need to believe that Jesus is God, that he's the king. He came down from heaven to earth, and he requires our allegiance. That's repentance. It's an allegiance to to him as our king. It's a turning from sin, a willingness to turn from sin at least, that will lead to him enabling us to turn from sin. And so repent and believe the gospel, Jesus said. Those are essential uh, responses. If you've heard the truth, you're going to be held accountable to how you responded to it. And not accountable to me, but accountable to God. So my friends, I encourage you to get get right with God while you have time. Be reconciled to your creator. Uh, you know, even the apostle Paul says, we are God's ambassadors pleading with you to be reconciled to God. We're ministers of a new covenant, a covenant, that, an agreement that there is reconciliation possible. We've rebelled against our creator and we can be reconciled reconciled through the blood of Jesus. So that's good news, my friend. Whatever your addiction is, some people are addicted to false religions, some people are addicted to their own ego, uh, sex, there is freedom found in Christ. Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I encourage you guys, dwell on the truth and you will be set free. That's the purpose of why I'm on the radio. That's why we have our show on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. And so dwell on that truth and you will be set free. Those are Jesus's words, not mine. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But the scripture that comes to my mind is what Joshua said to the people of Israel when they had different gods to choose from. He said, if Baal is God, worship him. If Yahweh is God, then worship him. Choose this day whom you will serve. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself upon you. He wants you to choose to trust in him as the God who reveals himself, not only in the pages of scripture, which we emphasize today because I went to the Museum of the Bible, but primarily, finally, through his son. Hebrews 1 says that in the past, God spoke through the prophets in various ways, from uh, Moses all the way to Malachi. He spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, he testified to us through his son. So Jesus is his name, and there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved, but by the name Jesus. So call on him. Chris in Santa Cruz, you're in the air, sir. Thank you for the call. Yeah, hey, uh, appreciate your show. Uh, my, my question is, and then scripture talks about, uh, I think it's Mark, talks about the sin that leads to death. Is that the sin that Adam and Eve committed that it made us, you know, kind of die, uh, you know, our, our flesh dies as a result of the sin that Adam and Eve committed? Is that what that, that scripture means? Or? Um, Generally, Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. So all sin does generally lead to death, but I think you're quoting from 1 John 5, 16. It says, if anyone sees a brother, his brother, that we're talking about a believer here, committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that that leads to death, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. I think this would go back to our previous caller and what we were talking about earlier, the unforgivable sin. I think that's the sin that ulti- that leads to what the Bible calls the second death, and that is the lake of fire, hell. Um, and so I don't think it's talking about just Adam and Eve's sin generally, even though Adam and Eve's sin is what led to the death of all human beings and this creation that's corrupted. I think it's talking right. about a spiritual uh, rejection of the Holy Spirit's testimony of Jesus that leads to eternal separation from God. 
Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you for the thank call. you for the call, Chris. That's what we want to give people, right, Dave? We want to give people hope. Absolutely. And there it is. Two minutes, Brenton. So let's remind people about uh, Dwell on Truth and OAC and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. After uh, almost nine months of not being on KSCO mm-hmm. because of funds, mm-hmm. the Lord provided a business sponsor. And so we'll. Who is the sponsor, anyways? Tell, tell I'll, us. I'll give him a shout out. Yeah. Um, my friend Robert from Top Grade Paving in Gilroy. He paves all around the, the Monterey Bay area Mm -hmm. top grade paving top grade paving it's better than the best is their slogan and i saw on uh, yelp and other websites that the reviews and the photos of what he did really slick if you're tripping over like roots in your driveway Mm. he can redo your driveway make it smooth as day he actually repaved someone's driveway for free they had a handicapped van it was lowered Mm -hmm. every day they're pulling out of their driveway it was scraping he's like hey i'll just do this job for free so go say thank you to robert at top grade paving the ad will be on my radio show and played this week. Top grade paving. Are they in Gilroy, you said? Out of Gilroy. I'm very grateful to be back on the air and grateful to be with you in person. So God's got good things in store for us. I believe that. I like that attitude, Brenton. I like that Mm -hmm. attitude, dude. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. See you next time. Yes. KSU. Well on Truth is sponsored by Top Grade Paving. If your driveway is full of holes and you can't even pull in or out of it, is the bottom of your car scraping? Are you bottoming out? Is your coffee spilling out of your cup holder every single morning when you're pulling out of your driveway? We can help with that. Last week we paved the driveway. Someone that actually had a handicap accessible van and because it was a lowered van, it couldn't even back out of their driveway properly. It would scrape every single day. We was able to come in and pave the driveway with a flat surface to work properly. They actually got the job totally for free because I had extra asphalt, so they were super happy. A lot of people have root damage in their driveways that can make a trip hazard. We can come in and always take care of that. There could be large potholes, uh, water puddling, the drainage setup on the driveway cannot be right. Yeah, we can fix all that. Top grade paving is licensed, bonded, and covered under Workman's Comp. I'm Robert. 408-455-8723. Call Top Grade Paving. That's 408-455-8723.